0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Lucha of the Hidden Temple for the weeks of March 18th and March 25th. My name is Dr. Nob and this is your Voices of wrestling.com Lucha Underground Review. First and foremost, I want to apologize to you all for the week off. Long story short... I got sick and no it wasn't avian bird flu or swine flu or SARS or MRSA or Ebola or bubonic plague. It was just some upper respiratory shit and allergies, seasonal cold. But the problem is with my job, which entails talking into voice recognition software for about five to six hours a day, I just wasn't getting topside on this shit. And I was always tired and my voice was always shot and monologuing is a little bit different Than podcasting with two people and you've heard Rich and Joe talk about this so I won't belabor it too much but it requires me to be a little bit mentally sharper because I have to keep talking and keep the segment rolling so usually I do about 10 minutes of cardio before I do this and I drink some coffee and I even try to time when I'm taping for the middle of my days even if it involves doing it during work because right now I'm sharper than I would be when I just wake up or when I I get done with work and it's time to go to bed so it's just about finding that little happy spot so that I'm bringing the energy that you're accustomed to me having each show now you may not like that energy and that's fine and dandy all I can tell you if you don't like my energy is if I was doing it at some other time it would be worse because I'd be like lost and stuff and there'd be a lot more me going like and nah, I don't fucking know what happened he like jumped and shit and You you don't want to hear that. Who wants to fucking hear that? So, this week, we've got two episodes to go through. What I'm going to do, which is a little bit different than other weeks, is... Although I've done it on one episode prior is I'm going to be watching the segment, taping on that segment, watching the segment, taping on that segment. So if you hear Tape Chops this week, you are hearing Tape Chops this week. That said, normally, like the last episode I did, that was essentially a one-take episode. Or maybe it was a two-take episode, and usually I just try to rattle them off straight. It's just about having stuff to say. And I do have some things to say. We've got... Certain finishes to these matches that i I thought were dubious, particularly that cage and puma match but we'll we'll get to that when we get to that without further ado let 's get into our first match. Arrow star versus Drago. This is match number three in this series, and this match felt a lot like their prior matches, which keeping it real is a bit of a knock on this match. I wanted something different out of this third go around. I wanted the storyline to start going somewhere, and in the opening salvo of this match I thought that's what we were going to get because I thought that Drago doing legwork on Aerostar was going to result in Aerostar having his offense changed or altered because his legs weren't going to be able to do what he likes to do which is fly around and not just fly around but fly around in a flashy way that didn't happen in this match and if you disregard the fact that legwork should result in a kayfabe injured leg this match is well-worked, if not a bit redundant. I don't know. I don't get tired of watching Aerostar fly around. It's hard to come down on this guy because I really enjoy his work. I just thought, you know, if you're going to work someone's leg, pay off the leg stuff. And there are a number of different places where you could pay this off. For example, towards the end of this match, Aerostar goes for this rope walk Hurricane Rana, which would require your legs to be really really under you and if anyone's done leg locks and whatnot throughout this match or delivered a drop kick directly to the knee this rope walk would be a bit of a gamble and you could make the argument a completely unnecessary gamble it would have been good to see Aerostar get crotched not like I want to watch the guy get crotched but you know what I mean it would have been good if his leg had went out from underneath him and he had gotten crotched and that ends up costing him the match it was something drago set up but aerostar ultimately took one risk too many and it backfired on him that would have been better than what happened in this match which was drago did all this offense and it was all for naught on aerostar's leg because aerostar is ultimately able to come up with the victory using a springboard splash after doing a ropewalk hurricane rana cool match A bit gratuitous with the finish, and just, like, a little too flashy from Aerostar, again, because of all the leg stuff. But if you got rid of that, good match. Can't really hate an Aerostar match. This guy's exciting. He's fun to watch. Up next, Big Rick versus The Crew, and this was a match that was the conclusion of the Big Rick versus The Crew storyline. So, final marks on this storyline... Meh, you know, it got Big Rick over and established as a babyface monster, and that's good. The show didn't have a good guy monster face character, and it could have been that way with Mil Muertes, but I guess Mil Muertes is not going to be on the show, at least for a while, if not again, which is really crazy to think about, but we'll get to that in the next segment here. In this matchup, I'm staring at the screen as it runs back. There's not a whole hell of a lot to talk about. It's not really that good of a match. It just resolves the storyline. Eventually, Rick gets his chance at Mr. Cisco. I was about to say Cortez Castro. He pins Cortez Castro second. He gets his revenge on Mr. Sisko, who's the one who blinded him. There is some speculation on commentary, but it's only speculation because I don't think it's been picked up at any other point during the show, that Sisko did it because he was getting initiated into the crew. If that's true, that's good writing. It's not bad. It's just It's This angle doesn't interest me, and the crew being put over as world beaters isn't really all that plausible when, again... The biggest world beating that they delivered, I think they had a match against Aerostar and a couple of the other luchadors when they were being introduced and in really just a jobber status. But, you know, the world beating that Striker and Vampiro are alluding to is beating up Maskey, Pimpy, and Sexy. So, uh, okay, beat the world up there. Anyways, the Urnagi Big Rick does. Oof. That looks really brutal. I, if you didn't see this spot, Mr. Sisko gets into the urinagi, and it's going to be an urinagi into a chair, which, you know, any of these moves through a chair, there's always a high likelihood you land awkwardly, and Sisko just sort of lands right on his back, spinal area, right on the standing part of the chair. The chair does not break the way you would want the chair to break if you were taking that bump. And that was honestly the most notable part of this match. I watched that was like, just not a, Oh man, Holy shit. You know, like I'd be chanting at a show more like a, Oh, that just looks like it fucking hurts. And didn't, you know, who's going to remember Mr. Sisko in this Big Rick feud five years down the road? So hopefully the guy who took that bump not feeling terrible. Sexy Star does make an appearance when Mr. Sisko is trying to cut and run on Big Rick and she throws Mr. Sisko back in. I mean, hell, why doesn't she just show up in the match? It's a no disqualification match. Or why doesn't Big Rick let her get a few shots in on Mr. Sisko? I don't know. This whole storyline's. Ho hum, it's over now, so that's a big plus. That's really all I've got to say about this segment. Grave consequences, okay. Disclaimer at the top: casket matches, not my favorite type of match, blood like it in small doses, don't like it when it's done profusely. So I liked WrestleMania 31's usage of blood with Brock Lesnar against Roman Reigns, where Brock's getting cut up and he is bleeding, but he's not bleeding profusely. And Roman Reigns is definitely not trying to drink from his open wounds. I don't think that that is so much brutal or savage as it is Just kind of gross, like heebie-jeebies gross. It's the wrong type of ooh-ah reaction that wrestling tries to draw out of you. So I needed to put those disclaimers up front because if you like those sorts of things, you might like CZW, which is also a thing I'm not super into. I will say in terms of casket matches, I like the style of presentation that Lucha Underground has come up for this match. They have made it distinctly Latino with the Dia de los Muertos theme. And the entrance sort of makes the match. And there is a vibe that Lucha Underground set has that definitely worked for this match. The Between the ropes and before the ropes were dismantled a little bit during the match, that's where it sort of fell apart for me. Because this match is not so much good as it is long. But you probably didn't notice that if you just watched it once. The whole setup and that initial presentation of the casket goes a really long way for making this match seem like a lot more is going on than there is. There's a vibe that the match is working in, and that definitely helps it. The match structure is pretty simple. Phoenix gets some initial offense. And then after he does a run off the ropes and a dive to the outside to Mil Muertes, that begins a long, sprawling, frankly, kind of boring Mil Muertes control section. There is about five or six key spots. There's Mil gets a suplex off of the top ropes. There's the aforementioned dive to the outside, powerbomb into a table, And then a bunch of brawling and a bunch of Mil Muertes drinking Phoenix's blood. But all of this is going to end up being for naught. Despite the brutality, despite nearly ripping off Phoenix's mask and having this luchador unmasked in front of all of us, a great dishonor. Phoenix is going to overcome Mil Muertes and he will eventually slap him a few times, box him about the ears, kick him into the head. Mil Muertes leans over on the ropes, receives the double stomp to the back, which is becoming a very in vogue move. Almost to the point where I'm seeing it too much now these days. Not that I don't like it when Prince Devitt does it. It's just, you know, sometimes you see a move a bit much, right? Anyways, Katrina licks the rock before closing the casket. I mean the story of this match is that Phoenix is turning into a bad guy, or at least becoming enthralled by Katrina, who is a person who is of dubious moral character. And I'm not calling her anything you know, like like a woman of ill repute or anything like that. I'm saying that like she flirts with the dark side, dude. You know, she's not a good character. Mil Muertes, this is a big problem during this match was essentially working a large portion of this match as a babyface. And I guess it sort of works with the Phoenix storyline, which is to say that he's going to become the bad guy. Emil really is sort of the hapless dupe in all of this. You can't help but feel bad for the guy, and you can't help but applaud his success in the ring as a fan, and especially with the repeated exposures to this guy. The fans who saw this guy work began to build an attachment to the character, and he was sort of a world beater until the week they decided in an opening match he wasn't going to be anymore. And it's all been centered around Phoenix, who's a guy who has been up and down the card a few times already. And this is the first season of Lucha Underground. Phoenix has been on a bit of a wild ride. And his wild ride's going to continue because he's now going to be a part of whatever Katrina's plans are going forward. And maybe she will be a power broker. Maybe she will be hunting for... Prince Puma's title, and become a nemesis of Conan, and, you know, begin Conan's war with the dark side. You know, he was flirting with uh, white and black on the chessboard earlier in the episode. All these things could come into play. A few final thoughts before I close the lid on this episode. This is going to be the end of Mil Muerte's run, and I'm a little disappointed because I was enjoying the guy... I have the same connection with the character that I think a lot of the people in the live audience have... This guy's a tough shit kicker, and I like it. And I kind of like my characters to be dark. I happen to like one known as The Undertaker. He's a pretty dark dude. He seems to flirt with the dark side, and yet he seems to connect with the fans just fine. I think Mil Muertes was tapping into a little bit of that, and I would have liked to have seen him stay on the undefeated streak. I was fine even with him losing Aztec Warfare because I didn't think he needed to be the Lucha Underground champion, but I would have liked to have seen his first loss come in a title defense from Prince Puma. Because I think that would have served two masters. I think it would have helped get Prince Puma over. And I think it would have made Mills strong. And if he loses in a title defense going for the belt, that's really... In the grand scheme of losses, probably one of the best ones you can have. And you can still have this Phoenix angle. You could have had Mill lose to Prince Puma. This is when Katrina loses confidence in him. And it's completely rattled when he loses, let's say, a week after to Phoenix in that opening match. You can still do this whole Phoenix storyline while making Mill stronger along the way and feeding him to both Puma and Phoenix. This match dynamic was fun and it was good shades of gray booking and it was subtle in a way that I don't think, I know that TNA couldn't pull it off and I don't think WWE could pull it off and even New Japan because of the way they do storytelling, it would be tricky because the whole thing in this match is that Mill's the bad guy, sort of, but he's the bad guy in the sense of you have a very savage dog who was a scared puppy who was captured and beaten. And that's what made him the snarling beast that he is today. And that's sort of my metaphor for Mill and Katrina's dynamic because we established that Katrina found Pascual Mendoza when he lost his family and he was a weak and frail little boy. And Presumably, she's always been this age, so she established a bit of an Oedipal complex with Mill until he grew into a big man there, and maybe he still has an Oedipal complex. It doesn't go away when you get older, right? Anyways, we have Katrina... And she manipulated Pascual Mendoza. And what's she doing now to Phoenix? She's manipulating him. And what's she going to do with Phoenix when he can't get the job done, when he can't win the title for her? Because he's already come up short for that title once. What if he comes up short again? Is she going to lose faith in him? We already know that's going to be the case. Phoenix doesn't know that's the case. And that's sort of a non-admirable characteristic. And that's the thing we don't like about Phoenix. We don't like Phoenix, not because we don't think he's a good guy at heart, but we think that he's a guy who's, you know, blinded by a really attractive woman with a bit of a leather fetish. Who can blame him? But he's making bad decisions and no one likes that. And that's not something we're ever going to applaud. So it's a fun story. And What makes this work with the audience is that... So they're cheering for Mill during his big control sections. It makes sense because he's not necessarily a bad guy. He's kind of a victim here. And Katrina is clearly out to get him and is trying to sabotage him. So you can't blame the crowd for being on his side. But the crowd also still likes Phoenix. That makes this crowd reaction work. And it's shades of gray writing like this that can right around maybe not getting the ideal crowd reaction. And what I mean by the ideal crowd reaction is this match was booked kind of like your old-school passion play with Mills standing in for the Romans and Phoenix standing in for Jesus. Phoenix was going to bleed. He was going to bleed a lot. I mean, the more wrestling analog would be kind of your early-style Tommy Dreamer matches where the idea was to get Tommy over by just beating the shit out of him a whole lot. And it worked. But that's not the idea. We're not trying to get Phoenix over here. We're just trying to make Phoenix bleed. And bleed he did. It was a lot of blood. So, the end of Mil Muertes, Phoenix descending into the darkness, the man of a thousand lives flirting with the woman who has a thousand deaths in her? Oh, that doesn't sound right. Our March 25th episode begins with Son of Havoc versus Angelico, and... This is a fun match. Son of Havoc finally breaks his hard luck story on both fronts, you know, how he couldn't get a win and how he couldn't get rid of this girlfriend who doesn't appreciate him. Well, Son of Havoc works his ass off, does a lot of high spots, and finally overcomes Angelico. So he beats Angelico, and at the end of it, he breaks up with East right before he does his finishing move. You know, I wanted to say something about Son of Havoc's work. I had said that I thought he was being a little too flashy, but now, in hindsight, as this story is coming to a close, it makes perfect sense why he was flashy. His flashiness allowed him to slowly connect with the fans, and in this case, the writers used their psychology of the crowd basically perfectly. They read them very very well and knew what it would take to get this guy connected with the fans to the point where he would go from being a heel and being kind of an enhancement talent to being a babyface who we have an emotional investment in and we want to see do well we want this guy to succeed and we like him and I really like the way Son of Havoc moves it's very clean very crisp so this is a fun match. If you didn't get a chance to see it, you should definitely go and catch it. Because it's not all that long, but this is definitely one of the better opening matches that we've had on Lucha Underground in recent months. It was certainly stronger than the Aerostar and Drago match last week, and I don't remember what was the week prior. But anytime Son of Havoc works and gets some time to show off what he can do in the ring It's pretty sweet. He's got a lot of moves in his arsenal, and he's flashy, and he looks different than a lot of the other workers in the company. Don't know what is next for Ivelisse. Don't know what is next for Angelico. After the match, Angelico kind of is like, hey, I know he doesn't want you, but uh, I'm Angelico. You want me? And then Ivelisse just kicks him in the head. So right now, it seems that all three of them are going their separate ways. But who knows? They may come back together again at some point. After that, we have Hernandez, of TNA fame primarily, signing the paperwork with Dario Cueto. He is going to be in Puma and Conan's stable or corner faction, whatever you want to call it, and he will be ringside during the main event. We'll talk about the addition of Hernandez a little bit later. I don't know that I really need to see him wrestle a whole lot, but... He could be an interesting non wrestling character if they choose to go that route, although how they chose to use him in the main event, and honestly all of the involvement of Conan and Hernandez was highly questionable. We'll get to that in a little bit here. Tejano versus Alberto El Patron in a bull rope match for the triple A title. Sting versus Vader, nineteen ninety three, I think it was the White Castle of Fear strap match. This isn't that. This is just a pretty run of the mill match. Well worked, but I didn't think the bull rope added anything. If anything, this match would have been just as good if it was no disqualification. The only reason we have the bull rope is because the setup for this match was Alberto El Patron instead of beating Tejano cleanly deciding that he needed to whip the shit out of Tejano. And so he gets another opportunity to whip the shit out of Tejano. This time the belt's on the line. And Alberto El Patron comes out on top of this. I don't have a problem with that, especially since you're defending a belt in another promotion. Obviously, you're just doing it as an exhibition. You can't tell the fans that, but that's what's happening here. We're having an exhibition match. The problem is Tejano taps out. Very, very, very quickly once he gets put in this armbar, and he really only needs to get put into the armbar once or twice. It may have came earlier in the match too, but the finish of this match is Alberto El Patron gets Tejano in the corner for an armbar. And Tejano taps as quickly as Alicia Fox taps whenever she gets put into the sharpshooter by Natalia. It's a fast tap. It's a real fast tap. Before that, there are some nice spots. There is a very, very convincing near fall that immediately precedes this, where Tejano gets Alberto El Patron in a powerbomb from the top turnbuckle through a table that... I think a lot of the crowd legitimately was biting on as near fall, and Tejano did his job well. I think that he eventually got people to believe that Alberto could lose the title to this guy, even though it wouldn't make any sense for triple from Triple A's perspective to have a title change not even on their own television, right? Especially the top title, that'd be a terrible mistake. There is a nice Hurricane Rana from the apron to the outside ber- by Alberto Del Rio to Tejano that happens earlier in the match. And otherwise, you know, this is a good match. It's nothing to write home about. I feel like the bull rope, it didn't hurt, but it didn't help. And so if it doesn't help, you really have to question why we've got the bull rope there. And I guess we have questions about what. Tejano's role is going to be going forward. You know, you did the interview with Vampiro with this guy, but after you did that interview with Vampiro, you've fed him to Alberto El Patron a number of times. So do you align him with Dario Cueto as a challenger to Prince Puma's title going forward? Or are we writing him off of TV and this is the last we see of Tejano for now slash forever? I don't know more questions and answers. This storyline it's fine. You know, it's great to see Alberto El Patrón in another venue other than WWE and I think it's good for him and it's good for AAA to get some promotion on American television and exposure of their luchadors and their product out here. But you want to see this AAA title have some sort of m- meaning inside of the Lucha Underground universe, and I don't feel like they've incorporated it. I feel like this is a sideshow. This is our AAA title sideshow. It's main event time, so Cage and Puma make their way to the ring, and they are standing in the ring when Dario Cueto comes out of his office and unveils for us the brand spanking new and pretty bitchin' looking Lucha Underground title. Now, this title is black leather with gold with Aztec intricacies worked into the gold. It might be mock gold. It's likely mock gold. Either way, it comes off very good on television. It's fitting of a top-of-the-card champion, so I give a big thumbs-up to Lucha Underground for that. My issues with this match, frankly, come out of the street fight element of this match. It's gratuitous to me to have a top-of-the-card championship defended in a gimmick match a lot. And honestly, Lucha Underground has been overusing the street fight. I've seen it twice now, or I've reviewed it twice now on this episode. I've seen it twice in two weeks. And street fights, cage matches, not so much cage matches, or even ladder matches on certain occasions. But there are a lot of gimmick matches that are better kept for the middle of the card, or the undercard. And my other issue with the street fight element of this match is not so much the work in the match. I thought it was fine. I thought Cage seemed more at home with the smoke and the mirrors and, you know, being able to use the chair. I think it allowed him to work more like a heel. So he was staying away from being flashy Cage for the most part, except for the shell shock set up into the lung blower that he did that was pretty fancy looking that's kind of a cage thing where he has all these power moves that are flashy and show some coordination he also has a lot of springboard moonsault type things that he can do he's an impressive physical specimen he's very very good but I think he's good to a fault sometimes because he has a clear fan connection that's another issue in this match but that's just goes back to this crowd not seeing Prince Puma enough. And Prince Puma is playing this silent hero character, who he reminds me of is Chrono from Chrono Trigger on Super Nintendo or Link from Legend of Zelda, where... Everyone else is telling Link and Chrono what to do, and they just kind of stand there like this hapless dupe. And so when I was playing Chrono Trigger, I never really connected with Chrono. I was always more into Magus and Frog and Robo. Okay, we're getting nerdy here. The point is... The silent hero character is kind of hard for someone to connect with, even if they are badass, which Prince Puma most definitely is. I mean, the shooting star presses he does, he does the standing shooting star press in this match, which still impresses me. It's just crazy to see someone's back go like that, especially since I have back issues. And he does a shooting star off of the top rope, which is essentially like a plancha onto a standing cage, And he also does a 450 from the top rope to Cage through a table. All of those spots are really sweet. The problem is the finish. And the finish makes Puma look unbelievably weak. Let's go over the finish blow by blow. Puma gets hit with Weapon X, which is Cage's finisher. Cage could go for the cover. And he had the opportunity to pin puma the other day and the last time he hit puma with weapon x conan deemed it bad enough that he needed to throw in the towel shortly thereafter cage hits puma with weapon x he mounts puma and he proceeds to beat puma about the head and upper torso from a kneeling mount position over 25 times as the crowd counts along and then he gets up he power bombs prince puma twice once into the canvas, the second time is into the trash can, and then Hernandez gets up on the ring apron, Conan slides into the ring with his cane, and while Hernandez distracts Cage, Conan comes from behind and hits Cage squarely in the head with his loaded cane, which then allows Prince Puma to scramble to set up Cage and hit him With his corkscrew cannonball finisher that he does. It's not a corkscrew, but you know what I mean. He does that sweet spinning cannonball move. I I need to look up what the name of that fucking move is. It's driving me crazy right now. Anyways, he hits Cage for the finish. One, two, three. End of Cage. It took three baby faces to screw over the heel. And before Puma had help, he was basically about to lose his title to Cage who was kind of over with this crowd. It, it, it was a split house for sure, and that's not where you want the fan connection with Prince Puma to be. This guy can't be divisive. He's silent. You ha- Everyone has to just embrace the dude. Now, this may be a grander fault with the writing it, and a bit of a naivete where you thought that you could have a completely silent, top-of-the-card guy. And... I am not convinced that that would fly as a top-of-the-card character. So, perhaps something Lucha Underground needs to explore the next time they go in and do writings and tapings. Maybe give Puma some more dialogue and he'll have more of a connection with this crowd. Or at least have more FaceTime in front of the crowd. As I say, we, it feels like we go weeks without seeing this guy on television. I mean, I know we go at least every other week without seeing this guy on television in any serious way. And it's got to be like that for the crowd, too. They've got more of an attachment to Pentagon Jr. Why? Because he keeps coming out in front of them. To close out the show, one thing that I think Lucha Underground does really well, especially when I compare it to TNA or Raw these days, match pacing, match length. Even if I don't dig the street fight match, that had enough time to breathe on the show. Good 20 minutes for that final segment. That was good. And the mid-card and opener matches don't feel like complete throwaway. In some cases, I'm as excited to see the next Son of Havoc match as I am to see the next Prince Puma match. Now, that is an entirely different ball of wax. But... I think it's good that they give those opening matches enough space. It reminds me a little bit of the way WCW used to give cruiserweights time to work back in the heydays of Nitro when Nitro was good. 96, 97, I was getting really into wrestling. A good 7 to 10 minute match is important to have as a regular feature inside your product. And it's kind of a lost art. WWE can be good at it at points with the right workers. You know, obviously, you're Daniel Bryan's and Dolph Ziggler's. But sometimes the matches can get circular. You know, I, everyone was talking about Dean Ambrose and John Cena this week from Raw. And I like the match. That said, John Cena spent a good portion of that match getting Dean Ambrose into a standing fireman's carry, which Dean Ambrose then broke. What I guess I'm saying is that Lucha Underground understands what the time frame is supposed to be for your opening match, your middle match, and your closing match, and the closing matches have, by and large, had a main event feel. Grave Consequences had a main event feel. This match had a main event feel, at least from a storyline standpoint, you can quibble about the finish, and I think I've certainly made the case that this finish was not the best possible finish that they could have come up with. However, the match still felt like a match for the title, and so Lucha Underground's hitting on that. And another thing that I want to applaud them on is commentary. It's come a long way since I started this show. We're now 10 episodes in And Striker and Vampiro are a better commentary team than they were 10 episodes ago. And hopefully I'm becoming a better podcaster than I was 10 episodes ago. And if you think so, and if you like the show, write a review on iTunes. You help this show. You help all Voices of Wrestling podcasts. We're all on the same feed. You help Shake Them Ropes. You help the flagship show with Rich and Joe Lanza. And who doesn't want to give Joe Lanza the helping hand? I know that I do. It's at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O on Twitter. And until the next one, cheers. Great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on Total Engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.